Ecclesiastes, and finally, we will be ending the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I hope for those of you who have been here, this has been an enlightening journey. Um, for the few of you who have been here multiple times, does anybody want to take a shot and just give me a, an idea of what some of the main characters, and by characters, not actually people, but just things that have been main main topics in Ecclesiastes? Anybody want to throw some words out there? Balance. What was that one, Steffi? Oh, yeah, vanity. Okay, so so vanity, right? This word, havel, balance, right? Good. Chasing after the wind is a good one. That's come up multiple times. Very good. What about death? you remember death being a con- constant, continuous thing we see over and over in Ecclesiastes? Um, that's what we're going to come back to tonight is a lot of death again. Um, all of this with the idea that wisdom... Wisdom is kind of what we're looking for. Wisdom is a little bit of our gain here in this life. So we talked a lot about yatron, right? That, that Hebrew word, yatron. What do we gain here while we're in this life? Um, and so as we conclude, um, we're hoping to find an answer, right? That's our, that's our hope here tonight. Um, and so last time we talked about the vulnerability of wisdom. And tonight we're going to look at some of the limitations of wisdom as well. I mean, we're going to look at some things that are really going to hit home to us as young adults, because he's going to hit us um, talking about people of their youth. And so, so let's do this. Um, we're going to start with chapter 11, verse 1. And like I said, we're going to finish all the way through 12. But what I want to do is I want to read 11, 1 through 6, and then we'll break, and I'll kind of break that down. Um, so let us read chapter 11, verse 1. If you need a Bible, there are some more back there. Does everybody have one, hopefully? Good, okay. Chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, Send out your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will get it back. Divide your means seven ways, or even eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. When clouds are full, they empty rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where that tree falls, there it will lie. Whoever observes the wind will not sow. And whoever regards the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the breath, do not know how the breath comes to the bones of the mother's womb, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening do not let your hands be idle, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So let's go back to one. Let's just plug through this because um, once we st- once we start with eleven seven and on through twelve, um, twelve eight, that's kind of all one subsection. Kind of um, Kohelet. Kohelet being the author, the preacher, the teacher. So that's kind of Kohelet's conclusion is seven through twelve eight. So let's break this down a little bit. We start with eleven one saying, "Send out your bread upon the waters, um, and after many days you'll get it back." There's an Arabic kind of proverb that says, do good, cast your bread upon the waters, and one day you will be rewarded. And similarly, similarly, there's a Jewish tradition that says, the idea of giving bread is this idea of generosity. So, so sending out your bread upon the waters is this idea of generosity. Be generous with what you have. And after many days, we'll, well, that'll come back to you. You'll find it. The little translation of you, we'll get, you'll get it back is you'll find it. 
So by being generous, you're going to find it. We're not entirely sure what it is, but you're going to find something. We kind of assume it's a reward. Then verse 2 goes on to say divide. So verse 1 we had send out. Verse 2 we have divide. These are both ideas of distributing kind of what we have. Divide your means. Divide your portion is another word for means there. Divide it seven ways or maybe even eight ways. For you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. And this is kind of a theme he's going to run with. There's some things we can know, and there's some things we can't know. We can know this, but we can't know that. So we're going to see this, and he's going to start here um, with a couple of things that we know. But just recognize that you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. There's circumstantial evidence, circumstantial events that happen that determine, you know, that you have no control over. So you don't know when this is going to happen. So distribute what you have. But here are some things that we can know. Verse 3. When clouds are full, they empty rain on the earth. We can also know that whether a tree falls to the south or whether it falls to the north, in the place where that tree falls, well, that's where it's going to lie. Right? I've never seen a tree fall and then get up and walk off somewhere else. So we can know that where a tree falls, that's where it's going to stay. And similarly, simi- I'm having a hard time with similarly, similarly, Likewise, you can, uh, you can know by looking at the clouds, when they get full, like right when they build up puffy, well, it's going to rain. Remember that? We learned the, the water cycle back in elementary. You get to see those little cool diagrams. These are things we can know. Going to verse 4, we can even know whenever we observe the wind whether or not we should sow our seed. And also, we, we can know if it's going to rain by looking at the clouds that we should probably not reap yet. Like, now's not the time to to pick it up. So a smart, wise, right, a wise farmer, based on his experience and his wisdom, will know whether it's a good idea to go ahead and and sow just by looking at the weather, by looking at the wind. And likewise, he can can examine the clouds and say, now's not a good time because it's going to rain soon. These are things that we can know. So these are good things. These are kind of positive things because we can know them. And they're things that we can know by just observing the natural order. Observing the the natural order coming in line with the divine order. But when we go to verse 5, we see some things that we, we can't quite know. And in fact, he says, Just as you do not know how the breath comes to the bones of the mother's womb, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So we can know some things about clouds and wind and... Um, nature and the way things fall, you know, all these things. There's some things we can know, but the way that breath comes to the bones of the mother's womb, how breath entered into that little baby that was inside your tummy not too long ago, well, those are things that, those are beyond us. You know, that's just, we can't figure that out at all. And that word breath, in Hebrew it's ruah, and that's the same word used for breath, for wind, for spirit. And here, breath is the, the, the correct interpretation, correct translation here. But it's interesting that he's just talked about, like, we can know the wind a little bit, right? We can know whether we should, whether we should sow our seed based on the, the wind. And similarly, gosh, likewise, um, you mentioned we've been chasing after the wind. All these things are just chasing after the wind. So, so this word ruah gets used a lot in, um, 
I don't think it's mistaking here that he, he uses the word breath here coming to the, the life of the mother's womb. How it happens, that we're not really sure of. Why? Because that's God's work. And God's work we can know in part. We've seen this throughout. We can know a little bit of what God's doing. But we can't know fully. And that's part of the, the frustration, right? We want to know. We want to know what it is that God's doing, but, but it's not our business to know all of this stuff. And when he says there, he, God who makes everything, God who makes both the mother and the, the child growing in the womb, that's God's doing. That's God's bidding. And then Kohelet offers us some advice in verse 6. He says, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening do not let your hands be idle, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. I don't know if you've ever heard the term, sow your seed before. This very easily can have a double meaning. Sowing your seed can be the process of working to beget a child. Let's put it that way. Is that politically correct? Sowing one seed. And so, in the morning, sow your seed. And also, do it at night. Why do we do it morning and night? Well, because we don't know when it's actually going to be effective to beget a child, right? We know the process, but we're not actually sure when it's actually going to work. So whether this is an actual agricultural term or like proverb or whether this is like a sexual proverb, we're not exactly sure. But it actually works both ways. The only the only inclination we have to make it a little more agricultural is that the word at right there in the morning sow your seed and at evening it can easily be or probably better interpreted as until. So until evening do not let your hands be idle. So basically if this is a sexual proverb then wow. Until the evening, do not let your hands be idle. Props or something. I don't know. That's crazy. So I'm going to go with the agricultural term because otherwise that's just too much. For you do not know which will prosper, the morning or evening. These are things that we aren't quite sure of. So his advice? Do them both. Cover all your bases. Again, wisdom is limited. There's some things we know. There's some things we don't. All right, let's go on to, to, to verse 7. And we're going to read 7, 11, 7 through 12, 8. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Even those who live many years should rejoice in them all. Yet let them remember that the day of darkness will be many, and all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, young man, while you are young, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Follow the inclination of your heart and desire of your heart of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Banish anxiety from your mind, and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Twelve one. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return with the rain. In the day when the guards of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the women who grind cease working because they are few, and those who look through the windows see dimly. When the doors on the streets are shut, and the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. 
when one is afraid of heights and terrors are in the road, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because all must go to their eternal home, and the mourners will, mourners will go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, and the golden bowl is broken, and the pitcher is broken at the fountain, and the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the breath returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. All is vanity. There's a lot there in 12. Just, just 12, 1 through 8. Um, and we're going to get there. I think it, I think it's beautiful. Like I read it today and I read it like five times just because I thought it was really beautiful how it all flows. Um, but let's go back to verse 7. Um, youth and old age is how my Bible titles this section. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Everything we've done thus far with Kohelet, what he's been examining are all the things under the sun. And so under the sun we get light. And that light that we get, well, that's sweet because it's pleasant for the eye. If you're seeing light, well, that means you're still alive. You haven't died yet. And we know that we've seen this over and over again. Death is the fate of all of us. It's coming. But it's death that gives life its meaning. We've talked about that before too. So, so light is sweet. This is a positive thing. This is a plus. And it's pleasant for the eyes to see. Even those who live many years should rejoice in them all. Rejoice. This is a big one. Rejoice and remember. Remember is going to be a really important one too. So, yes, you have light and it's sweet and you're living. And even if you live many years, well, it's really important that you enjoy every one of those years because death is coming. Yet let them remember that the days of darkness will be many. So don't remember the past. Don't remember what you've been through. But remember, the future's coming. And the future brings darkness. The future brings death. And that light that is so sweet right now, well, that's going to be replaced with darkness. And all of that, well, that that comes to vanity. That comes to balance. Because we have light that's sweet, but we also have darkness. Light positive, darkness negative. All that comes out balanced. And so rejoice. Again, he offers advice. Rejoice, young man, and do it while you are still young. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Can he say that enough times? Young man, while you are young, in the days of your youth. There's a sense of urgency he's trying to get across here. Do it now while you still can. Take the opportunity while you're still young to rejoice. It's kind of hard whenever you think, gosh, death is coming. Right, death is coming. All the more reason. Rejoice, because right now you still have that sweet light. Follow the inclinations of your heart and the desire of your, for your, of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. This is similar to what he said before. Follow the inclination of your heart and the desire of your eyes. He's not saying go be ridiculous and crazy and, you know, we should accept hedonism. Like, he's not saying that. He's saying that embrace the good things of life. Enjoy life. Eat, drink, be merry, right? Enjoy life. That is our portion. 
It's what we've been given. It's our gift from God. Therefore, enjoy it. Go after those things. But know that all these things that you go after, all these things that you do, well, God will bring you into judgment based on those things. Which sounds a little bit like salvation by works, right? We kind of we hear this, and we, we've heard this term before, hopefully. Like, hopefully, maybe hopefully not. I don't know, one way or the other. You've heard the idea that, like, you're saved by grace through faith, not that you're saved by the works, right? And this kind of makes it seem like that's what he's talking about. You're going to be judged based on all these things, all these things you do, all the things you're going after with your heart and your eyes. But the idea here is that, again, God cares what you're doing in the here and now. Because God has given you this gift of life. He's given you light, this time to be under the sun. And so what are you going to do with it? Are you going to be hedonistic and go crazy with it? And I think this is what we've been alluding to this idea for so long, that there's some kind of justice beyond, right? Beyond just what we get here under the sun. Because just like Kohelet said before, the good live the good life, they follow the right path, and yet they die young. And the bad follow the bad path, and yet they live to be super old. And that's just not fair. That's unjust, right? And so we want to see justice at some point. And I think this is where he's finally getting to the point where he's saying, yeah, God's going to bring judgment upon these people at some point. And at some point may end up being beyond life. doesn't flat out say it, but he kind of this is what he's alluding to, this idea of justice. And I don't know if you all are familiar. Remember the in Luke 16, is everyone familiar with the, the story of Lazarus and the, the rich man? Where Lazarus like sleeps outside the rich man's wall and the rich man like lives it up as a rich man? And then like the rich man dies and goes to Hades and in Hades like he sees Lazarus who's also died, but like like Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom is what it's called. And like the rich man's essentially suffering in death at this point because he's continuing to live out the way he lived on earth. Like, he lived at the expense of others on earth. And so now he's like reaping these benefits. He's essentially being tortured now while Lazarus has been raised to Abraham's bosom. And Lazarus is like pleading to just have a drip of water. Like, Abraham, tell Lazarus just to bring me a drip of water. And the important thing about that is, like, the entire time he was a rich man, people served him. And here he is in Hades now, like, in the afterlife, and he's still asking Lazarus to serve him. So what we do here is like an extension of what we are going to do there. God's going to judge you based on what you do here it's going to carry over to there. And so it's, it's, the term is eschatological. Like it's this whole like beyond death end times thing that like he really starts to dabble in. He doesn't like totally, just totally dive into it. But he has to have this idea that there's some sense of justice that's going to come about because we don't always get it here on earth, but there's got to be some sense of justice afterwards. So I, when you leave here and go back home or whatever tonight, check out Luke 16. It's um it's a really cool story. Um, but anyway, 
Um, verse 10. He, go, he gives us some more advice. Kohelet's going to give us some more advice here. Banish anxiety from your mind and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Banish, put away. And what are we banishing and putting away? Anxiety and pain. So these are negative things, right? We keep comparing positives and negatives. These are negative things. But he's actually taking these negative things and saying, here's how you can take those negative things and make good out of them. You can bring joy by getting rid of them. Banish them. Get rid of those things and do it now. In your youth, for youth, the dawn of life. All those things are vapor, vanity, havel. All those things are balance. Get it right. Get it right now while you still have the chance, while you're still young. Chapter 12. Remember your Creator. I love that's how chapter 12 starts. Because all he's done is talk so much about death. And now he totally flips the page and takes us all the way back to creation. Remember your Creator. And when should you remember your Creator? In the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come. Before trouble, the word trouble there. Ra. Remember our word ra, evil. Before the evil days, the days of calamity. Remember your Creator. Now while you still can, in the days of your youth, before these, these evil days come, and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Or when the, when the years draw near and you will say, it's too late to do anything now. Don't get to the point where it's too late to remember your Creator. Don't look back regretting, gosh, I had a chance then and I missed it. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember your Creator, verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return with rain. Sun, light, moon, stars. All things that bring about light, or in the case of the moon, reflect light. But all things we would look up and say, light, all positive things, right? So remember your Creator before all those things go dark. Before the clouds come back and block them out, bringing darkness. And usually you'd see clouds returning with rain and you'd think, oh, well, that's a good thing. Rain brings about the opportunity for growth in agriculture again, right? Um, the key word there being return. Clouds return with rain. Maybe the idea was that the clouds were just here and we just had rain. And if they come back again, well, that's too much rain, right? Like the Northeast can really relate to that right now. Once they had their little nor'easter, right? They just hit them and now they have snow and the more power's out and they're going crazy because the clouds have returned. And the light that they were hoping for, well, now it's even farther because the clouds have returned. Death is coming. Darkness is coming. So remember your Creator, verse 3, in the day when the guards of the house tremble. So this part gets really fun. You can read through this and you can take it all literally and it all works. It's all good. Or there's some back meaning, some, some symbolism that's used here, some allegory. So 
Remember your Creator in the day when the guards of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. Guards of the house tremble and strong men are bent. Guards of the house aren't supposed to tremble because they're the guards of the house. When do they start to tremble? When they're no longer prepared and able to guard the house. When they get older, right? When the darkness is starting to seep in on them. Likewise, the strong man becomes bent. He can no longer even hold himself up when he gets older. But these can also be used allegorically for kind of like the arms and legs of a person. So remember your Creator before your arms and your legs give out. Before you get too old to the point that like you can't even like use your legs anymore, your arms become unusable. And we're going to see more of this. Here we go. And the women who grind, the women who grind, cease working because they are few. Well, literally, that could mean that there are just less women grinding, possibly because they've died. Or it could mean women grinding can also mean teeth. Where they get this, I don't know. This is the Hebrew, and this is people interpreting it. So this is what they're trying to interpret it to. But if it makes sense, if you look at the idea of grinding. Because they are few. What can't you do if you have if you don't have many teeth? If you only have a few teeth, it's hard to chew, right? It's disgusting, but that's what happens when you get old. When darkness starts creeping in. So th- he's building this beautiful picture of gloom. And I mean that very much intentionally. Like, the rhetoric he's using here is beautiful. And it's dark and morbid and gloomy, but it's beautiful. So we go on past the, the women grinding and, and we get those who look through the windows see dimly. I'm sure you've heard eyes are the windows to the soul, right? Well, when you you look through the window and see dimly, your eyes aren't working anymore. When you get old, you start to go blind, right? It could just be that people are getting old. They're trying to look through the window and they can't see anymore. This is Again, it could be literal, it could be allegorical. When the doors on the street are shut. This one's a bit of a reach. Doors on the street can mean a ton of things. It could be a reference to ears, because we haven't talked about ears yet. So they're shut, which ties pretty well considering the next thing says, and the sound of the grinding is low. So the ears are going out as you get older. But it could literally also mean the doors being shut. Doors of the house. Doors of a house are shut when there was a funeral. So it could be the point that death has come and the doors are shut now. It could be that the city gates are shut because the entire community is mourning. Like These are all possibilities of what it means for the doors to be shut. And the sound of the grinding is low. Again, grinding is low. This could be the fact that the sound is low now because there aren't many people grinding. Right? There are not many people use, like making flower anymore because they're all getting old and they can't do it anymore could be because our ears aren't working anymore and one rises up at the sound of a bird well we just talked about we can't hear anymore i thought well maybe they can only hear high pitches i don't know but the other thing that happens the sound of a bird when do birds start chirping first thing in the morning right when you get old you can't sleep you're up at like four in the morning so you're basically beating the birds up. 
These are all things that he's continuing to paint, this picture of what happens when you get old. So again, remember your Creator before these things start happening. When one is afraid of heights and terrors are in the road. Afraid of heights. When you get old, you want to climb a ladder? No, because you're old. You have bad balance. There are terrors in the road. Have you ever seen old people drive? It's terrifying. I'm just kidding. That's not what they really mean there. There weren't cars whenever you wrote this. Terrors in the road. I mean, whatever. When you're walking down the road and things just like begin to spook you, right? Like you're just kind of out of your mind. And yet, then, so when these things happen, when one is afraid of heights and the terror in the road, then at this point, the almond tree blossoms. The almond tree blossoms. Has anybody ever seen an almond tree blossom? Hmm? Yeah. We have a picture of an almond tree blossoming just for you. What's that look like to you? What? Anybody? Gray hair. Bingo. Gray hair. It does look like cotton or snow as well. But in relation to this human that we're building and all these things that are falling apart, all these things start happening as the hair grays. Another thing you could look at it as with the idea of when the almond tree blossoms, that's when you eat almonds. But if you don't have any teeth, you can't really eat almonds. And when you get old, sometimes it's hard to digest things. So these are just all possibilities that he's painting with this picture, right? Don't worry, it gets better. It gets even... These are things you have to look forward to when you get old. That's why you have to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Don't worry, this is going to be your favorite right here. The grasshopper drags itself along. Anybody want to take a guess at this one? Because I would have never gotten it in a million years. So literally, grasshopper. It, it could mean just like a locust. You know, locusts were, came through and destroyed things. So this could be like our final conclusion before death hits. Like, the grasshopper is dragging itself along and destroying. That could be. But also, the grasshopper can reference the male sexual organ. So, if the grasshopper is dragging itself along and desire fails, the grasshopper is no longer hopping. Right? These are images he's building, gloom that he's painting the picture of. And when this happens, well, that's when desire fails. And because of all that, because all these things happen, when they all come together, what do we get? Everyone must go to their eternal home. So I say it's beautiful because he uses incredible imagery. And yet, out of this beautiful imagery, what do we get? Death. Come on, man. Like, how can you use such beauty to describe death? And beyond that, the mourners will go out about in the streets. Mourners going about in the streets. They didn't have newspapers. They didn't have obituaries. So when a person died, when, these, when the doors closed of a house, people would literally be paid 
to go stand at the doors of that house and mourn. They were professional mourners. So even in your death, people are using you to make money. Talk about death getting the last kick, right? There are professional mourners mourning your death. And the streets are full of these people. So remember your creator before the silver cord is snapped and before the golden bowl is broken. A silver cord. I've never seen a silver cord. Why? Because usually don't make cords out of silver. Because silver is too valuable to make a cord out of. So the idea that there's a silver cord that is snapped. Well, clearly this is a very valuable cord that had a very valuable purpose. And now it's snapped. And remember your creator before the golden bowl is broken. Never had a golden bowl either. Why? Because gold is very valuable. So what would you put in a golden bowl? Apparently something very valuable. We don't even use our nice china that we have because it's too valuable. We leave it in the cabinet. But here we have a golden bowl and now it's been broken. And even more, there's a pitcher that is also broken at the fountain and there's a wheel that is broken at the cistern. All of these things have a purpose. Cords, right? They hold things. They hold things up. The cords are used for multiple purposes. Bowls are used to hold Water, whatever, valuable things. Like they have a purpose. Same with the pitcher, same with the wheel. All these things have purpose, and yet they're all broken. Now think back to what we are as humans. Remember your Creator before you become so broken to no longer be useful. Remember your Creator before the dust returns to the earth as it was and the breath returns to God who gave it. Remember your Creator before it's too late. And again, I think it's beautiful. I think this is a beautiful ending. I think it is a great job of summing up the entire book of Ecclesiastes just right here. Because again, we have breath, right? Ruah, we have breath. And verse 8 is a bookend to chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher, says Kohelet. All is vanity. That's it. We started back at the Creator. We went on through this whole doom and gloom. And now we return to dust. Back to the earth where we came. Our spirit, our breath goes back to God who gave it.
And that, my friends, is balance. Havel, it's all temporary. And so I kind of wish it just ended there, because I think it's a beautiful ending. But if your Bible's like mine, which I'm sure it is, there's a few more verses here. And my Bible calls it an epilogue. Um, it's kind of conclusion one and conclusion two. And the idea is that um, sometimes when people had a, a manuscript like this, they would take it, and when they were teaching it, they may add something to the end of it to just endorse it or to make it available to a wider audience where like kind of you fit the theology a little better for the group that you're teaching it to um, to make it more applicable. And so we have these this epilogue, these two conclusions. And I don't know if they're conclu- the two conclusions are from the same person or they're different people. Um, if you remember in verse one or in chapter one, verse one, we talked about that was probably added in as well. We don't know if those are the same additions. All this, these are all additions, and we know this because it says in in verse nine. Besides being wise, the teacher also taught the people knowledge. Well, we've just switched into this third person now. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs, the teacher sought to find pleasure or pleasing words, and he wrote words of truth plainly. So clearly this is an analysis of all we've just read. Kind of a summation of all we've just read. But again, it's an endorsement. So whoever's writing this, again, is probably somebody teaching it who has students who are saying that besides just being wise, Kohelet, our teacher, our preacher, well, he also taught the people knowledge by weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs. He took all this wisdom and put it together for us to have. And the teacher, Kohelet, sought to find pleasing words, and he wrote words of truth plainly. Words of truth. Some of the things Kohelet wrote, they weren't easy. They were very tough, and he was really questioning a lot of hard things. But he wrote them truthfully and plainly. Verse 11. Probably not. Um, we don't have any like original manuscripts of... I say we. Scholars believe that we do not have original manuscripts of Ecclesiastes. And, and just based on the, the word structures, and the um, there's going to be some words we use here, like he's going to use the word... like goads and he's going to he's going to just totally have different vocabulary and sentence structure and everything's going to be different and so that's why you assume that it's added on later um so verse 11 sayings of the wise are like goads again goads being things you prod with like you prod a cow with a goad you goad people or not people usually animals but the sayings of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd the sayings of the wise are like goads why are they like goads? Well, because sometimes wise sayings prod you. Sometimes you need a good prodding to get pointed in the right direction. I don't know if any of y'all grew up on a farm. I did. And sometimes you have to poke them a little bit to go in the right way. And when it comes to wisdom, sometimes you need a little nudging. And that's what wisdom does. But it also acts like a nail. It gives us structure and security. And all these are from one shepherd. We don't know who the shepherd is. Probably God. We have a lot of imagery of God being the shepherd. 
That's what our youth are studying right now. God being the shepherd. But the cool thing about that is Kohelet took all this, all this wisdom that comes from the one shepherd, and he put it all together. And so he kind of has this authority based on the revelation he's taken of God's wisdom. And that's what this person's endorsing. And so verse 12 starts our second conclusion. Of anything beyond these, my child, which again, Kohelet never said before, my child, he, um, beware, right? Beware any, any wisdom beyond this because what you see here is sufficient. He's examining it all. Kohelet spent his life seeking wisdom, examining wisdom. We spent 10 weeks, and I feel like I'm an expert in Ecclesiastes, even though I know I'm way far off. But we spent 10 weeks examining it. Kohelet spent his life examining it. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. There's no end. He's not saying that it's not. there's no point to it. But when you examine wisdom... There is no end. You keep examining, and you keep examining, and you write books and books, and that is wearisome. So if you're really going to do this, if you're really going to take on wisdom, don't come light-handed, don't come with a light heart. You better come ready. You better bring your A-game. He's not saying don't do it. Just come, come ready. And so finally, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For that is the whole duty of everyone. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And this probably frustrates me more than anything. Because everything that Kohelet has done, investigating and challenging and really just like digging deep into tough questions, it kind of like just sums it up into two things. Fear God and keep His commandments. Which is a very like orthodox, Jewish, Israelite, like Deuteronomistic view, right? Like, just fear God and keep those commandments and you're good to go. And the, we, we saw throughout that Kohelet saw that people did that and yet they still didn't get justice. So this kind of, this ending frustrates me. I want to just end on, on verse 8. Or maybe even verse 11. I don't know. But I get frustrated whenever I have to end on this part of it because like, doesn't do justice to, to the beauty that Kohelet really has done throughout this entire book. Even though it says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So we still end with balance. So with that, my friends, we are done with Ecclesiastes. Let us pray. I feel as we could just say amen and be done. But we do give you thanks, God, for the, the beautiful wisdom. The wisdom that we only know in part. But the wisdom that we know more now than we know at the beginning of our journey. The wisdom that Kohelet sought after and recorded. and All that he examined. We give you thanks for that work. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't take advantage of it, but that which we have learned through this process would make us wise. That we may follow the path of the wise, not the foolish. That we may come to depend on 
justice and come to depend on you here on this life, on this earth under the sun, but also for those things beyond the sun. Trusting in you. Knowing that we came from dust and we will return to dust. And knowing that you gave us breath, you gave us spirit. And that in the end, even though death is our fate, we return to you. And for that, we give thanks. And for that, we have joy. And for that, we as one people say, Amen.